Have you heard? 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 Welcome to another edition of Have You Heard? I'm Jennifer Berkshire. I'm Jack Schneider. And Jack, I think I speak for America in asking the question, how exactly did you convince Michelle Rhee to be a guest on our podcast? Uh, That's a really good question. Uh, Well, I promised that you and I would both agree to be evaluated in an objective way and that uh, we would look at the data at the end of today's episode and uh, we would fire the lowest performing 50%. So next time people tune in, they'll hear that you have been replaced and that I have been put on a, on an improvement plan. <laughs> I, I think that's probably what we can expect for next week. So it's been nice doing this with you. And I look forward to uh, our final episode here today. And I wish you all the best in whatever career you turn out to be better suited for. I think the service industry is hiring these days. Well, I thought it it would be fun and useful to start out by talking about sort of our dream interview, all the all the things that we hope that we'll accomplish in talking to Michelle Rhee, and then our listeners can judge us harshly on whether we meet those metrics. That's that's good. That's so. First, we'll uh, we'll set the standards, and then we'll have a test that is aligned to the standards. Uh, so I, I know one thing that I'm hoping that we have a, a conversation about, um, and I, that you can tell I'm setting the bar real low, uh, that we have a conversation about this topic. Uh, I hope we get to have a conversation about value-added ma- measures of uh, teachers and that we don't go shooting off into the data sphere uh, and that we don't get sidetracked on uh, other forms of conversation that we can talk about uh, what evaluating teachers by using student standardized test scores has done to the teaching profession. And then uh, you know, I would also like to draw a little bit on the research on value added and, and hopefully get a direct response from her that is not her hanging up on us. Now, I join you in being not at all enthusiastic about what I think of as a data throwdown. We're we're at a, a moment where things are so intense and political, and it's becoming increasingly obvious just how big the issues are that are at stake, and that's making me even more impatient to have the kinds of conversations about uh, this this measurable impact and whether, you know, like here's the small keyhole through which we're going to view the world. I'm not particularly interested in that conversation. Right. Uh, That said, you know, I think it's worth actually answering the first question you asked uh, rather than being snarky about it. And to say that um, Michelle agreed to come on today because she and I blogged with each other on Ed Week for about 10 weeks because uh, I'm not particularly interested in screaming matches And so one of the things that I have tried to do is engage in a somewhat saner dialogue with people with whom I vehemently disagree. How's that working out? It sometimes ends with people hanging up the phone. Um, But Michelle and I had what I thought was a civil and sometimes productive uh, conversation via our blog. And I think we, we wrote a total of 20 entries together. And so uh, she, she deserves some credit for that as well as for coming on today. Well, it's very it can be really challenging to to 
talk to people with whom you vehemently disagree about huge issues. And I'm really hoping that we can get into the politics of of some of this. Uh, the the situation is changing quickly. Obviously, we've we've had the decision by the Trump administration to rescind protections for transgender students. But around the country, the sort of political situation on the ground is changing too. Just in the last two weeks, you've seen Iowa and Missouri basically gut collective bargaining protections for teachers. And if you listen to the debates in those states, you don't hear a lot of talk about uh, elevating the teaching profession. This is pretty much bare knuckle political stuff. Yeah, and I, I think that it connects interestingly to what is, I think, Michelle's uh, signature uh, contribution to the world of educational policy, which would be uh, very strong support for uh, measuring teachers via, you know, uh, objective, quote unquote, objective. Uh, measures so using student standardized test scores to do that, and I think you know when when we're thinking about the political context right now and what the Trump administration is likely to push for in terms of uh, K twelve education and possibly even higher education, um, you know they will be trying to create uh, a free market where uh, students will be able to move freely. Uh, and shop for whatever school they want to go to or whatever school they can afford to go to. Um, and that they will want, as Travis Pillow from uh, week one suggested, they will want something like a Yelp for schools, which might include uh, the public ratings of their teachers, uh, a la the work done by the Los Angeles Times a few years ago where they published the value-added ratings of all the teachers in the LA Unified School District. Or rate my professor with the chili peppers. There, there may be chili peppers involved in this. Well, we on our our last episode, we uh, we foreshadowed that we were going to be doing this interview, and we uh, we threw it out to the world. We asked people to submit questions. We got a lot of them, and I would say that they fell into a, a few a few categories. There there are many people out there who still have harbor very strong feelings. About Michelle Rhee and use the uh, the opportunity we gave them to express those feelings. Yeah, those were questions that weren't really questions, but they were statements that had been turned into something with a question mark at the end. Then there were there are a number of people who are very interested in in talking about DC, um, sort of relitigating what happened while she was there, and and also talking about about how it's fared into the present. Yeah, and I, I think. Related to that was we saw a number of questions about whether she had changed her mind about anything. A lot uh, wanting to know how how she assesses the work of the organization that she ran, Students First, and and at what point she might be willing to to say that it's necessary to try something else. Right. Yeah. What's the third category of thing? The third category of the things that I am particularly interested in, and oh, so these were questions that you tweeted at yourself. They they are they are. Uh, I um, I actually cast the net really broadly. I I I told all sorts of people that I was going to be that we were going to be talking to Michelle Ree, and one of the most interesting questions I thought came from a TFA alum named Gary Rubenstein, who wrote an open letter to Ree back in 2012. Uh, were sort of worrying aloud that the policy course she was pursuing might lead to teacher shortages. And there was a lot about what he was warning that I think has been borne out. And so I'm going to pick one question and I'm going to go with that. Okay, that sounds good. Well, I'm going to start with some questions about uh, value-added measures and 
what the research says and then uh, thinking a little bit about uh, the teaching profession. Maybe we can transition from there into your concerns about teacher shortages. Well, I think that'll do it for now. Let's get Michelle Rhee on the phone. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. I'm Jack Schneider. This is Have You Heard. Welcome back to Have You Heard. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. We have a special guest on the line. Jack, do you want to do the honors? Sure. We've got Michelle Ree here. Hi, Michelle. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, for those listeners who, uh, who don't know what your uh, background is and what you're up to these days, would you give us your, uh, your uh, super short bio? <laughs> sure. Um, I... I started my career in education uh, in 1992, teaching second and third grade in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, after that, went to the Kennedy School of Government. I got a master's in public policy with a concentration in education policy. Um, started a national nonprofit organization called the New Teacher Project to help recruit um, new teachers to school districts and state departments of education across the country, and then went on to become the chancellor of the Washington, D.C. public schools, um, and then founded an organization called Students First, um, which was a advocacy organization um, that looked to uh, really focus um, the public on, um, on better education policy for our kids, and that recently... Um, merged with an organization called 50 Can, uh, and um, I've been out of the kind of day-to-day running of uh, that organization for about a year and a half now or so. Okay, great. And before we launch into other questions, we have to ask uh, how your meeting with Donald Trump went. <laughs> um, it was it was definitely an interesting meeting, and I'd say that um, it was it was different from what I was expecting. I think um, I thought that he'd sort of come in and and have like really clear like I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. Are you on board? And um, I think he was um, much more kind of open and listening and um, willing to kind of have his. Um, policies and his views kind of be shaped um, by uh, by the person who is in that role than I, than I would have thought going into the meeting. Unless, of course, uh, the person who is shaping policy is advocating on behalf of uh, transgender students, I guess I would add. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the question. Oh, you know, I was just making a snarky comment about Donald Trump oh. bullying his secretary of education into not supporting transgender students using the bathrooms that uh, they would feel most comfortable using. Yeah, I've I, I, um, been reading a bit about that last night and this morning, and I do think that that's an unfortunate thing. I, I think that um, having those Title IX protections for transgender youth uh, are is just incredibly important. I think it's a, a message um, to our kids and to our schools about what is important. Yeah. Uh, so, so the first question that I want to uh, launch into is about teacher evaluation. Uh, so that's something that uh, a lot of people will associate you with in terms of um, policy advocacy. And the, the question is about the degree to which you still support the use of student standardized test scores uh, to evaluate their teachers given 
Um, given the research on that and given some broader concerns we might have about the impact on the teaching profession. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I still am somebody who um, thinks that that is an important piece to teacher evaluation. Um, you know, I, I think I've had conversations with you before, or we've, we've blogged back and forth uh, to each other before about this. Um, you know, when I started in D.C. Uh, and we had a teacher evaluation system that um, was not linked to student achievement, I think it led to um, not having a robust performance evaluation system for teachers where they were getting meaningful feedback and that we could really differentiate between our most effective um, teachers and those who needed more support and help. And um, so I do think that it's important. Um, but I also think that it's got to be one component amongst many. Um, and one of the things that I have uh, enjoyed sort of seeing and am proud of is the fact that um, in BC with impact um, uh, that they have iterated over time uh, what that looks like. Um, and I just talked to somebody on Sunday who told me that they have been working with the district to um, to add a component in or around student feedback into teacher evaluations, which I always thought was another important piece uh, to the puzzle. So, um, you yeah, know, I, 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 I remain there, which is saying that I think that student achievement should be a, a um, significant part of teacher evaluation, um, but it has to be one of many components and that we've got to continue to sort of um, figure out what the right balance of those things are. And I think that um, if you look at the... Um, if you look at the studies that have been done on impact in D.C., um, I think that they've shown very clearly that um, it uh, that that system results in um, uh, more of the highly effective teachers staying in the system, more of the ineffective teachers leaving the system, and student achievement levels rising. So, Michelle, I just I want to push back on that because uh, you know they're they're uh, and I don't I don't mean uh, this in a in a, um, I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm being contentious here when I say that it sounds like the logic is a bit circular around uh, the teachers who are identified as highly effective end up staying because um, you know that they have been identified as highly effective at raising student standardized test scores, and so a system that identifies them uh, and that rewards them is going to keep them. Uh, and and that's that's of course what we would expect. And so I guess the the place that I would push back is on uh, whether or not that is a valid measure of uh, teacher effectiveness, because of course you know research tells us that there are spillover effects across teachers and across like grade levels, and that there's non-random assignment that you know many teachers teach non-tested uh, subjects. And that you know the bottom line uh, worth always uh, remembering is that we want teachers to do far more than just fill their students with oh, the yeah. kinds of content Absolutely. that can be tested. And so I'm wondering how Absolutely. how valid that's, you that's, think that is. Yeah, that, that's why that's why you know I started this by saying you know student achievement um, gains and growth should be one of many. 
uh, factors that should be taken into account um, in terms of a student, um, a teacher's evaluation. Um, and I think that we as a profession have to constantly be thinking about things, the things that you brought up, like spillover effects and, and the fact that, you know, some teachers are teaching in uh, subject areas that are not being tested and yet they can have um, enormous impacts on how much kids are learning. All of those things are, are valid uh, sort of factors that we have to continue to do better on. But the fact of the matter remains that in um, lots of school districts across the country um, where you're looking at, 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 at data around uh, the effectiveness of teachers, there are lots of highly effective teachers who are not being retained um, uh, at any different levels um, as the as teachers who are not doing as well. Um, and I think that when you have a system that um, is identifying who those highly effective teachers are, they're recognizing and rewarding those teachers uh, for the job they are doing, and therefore they feel like they are um, respected, that they feel that they are sort of being valued for their work, um, and therefore they're um, more likely to stay in the district. I think that's incredibly positive. Michelle, I want to I want to pick up on on something else that Jack asked about the state of the teaching profession. We uh, we let our listeners know we were going to be interviewing you, and we invited them to submit questions. And as you can imagine, they had many, and so it was very difficult. But we each had to winnow down and pick one. And I picked one by somebody who you may know, uh, a long a long ago TFA alum named Gary Rubenstein, and he uh, shared with me a letter that open letter he had sent to you way back in 2012. And um, he was expressing his concern that the Students First policy agenda was going to end up driving teachers out of the profession or or really or leading to uh, teacher shortages. And um, it does seem like there are a number of states now that are experiencing severe teacher shortages. I just came back from a week-long trip, reporting trip in Michigan, and there are billboards on all the highways advertising for substitute teachers. So I just wonder, now that you're away from the day-to-day of Students First, how the state of the profession looks to you. And if if you, what would you, how would you answer Gary's question today? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the sort of teacher demand and kind of teacher, um, uh, you know, whether there is, uh, there are enough teachers or whether there's a teacher shortage tends to be pretty cyclical. Um, when I, um, started the new teacher project in 1997. Part of the reason why I started it was there because it was a huge teacher shortage. There was all this data that said that we were going to need two million new teachers over the next ten years. Um, you know, in Texas, they were putting billboards up all over the place. So it was a similar situation at that time. And so, you know, and then I think that there are uh, sort of ebbs and flows to that. Um, I'd say that uh, over the last you know, five years or so, um, there's certainly been a lot of changes in the teaching profession. Um, I think some of those have been uh, things that have discouraged people. I think, for example, one of the things that I talk about is the fact that even though I am a proponent of um, of standardized testing, um, and I think that, that it is important and we have a need for it, I also think that there um, are many circumstances in which um, there's an overemphasis on testing, and I think that that's problematic, um, and that that makes people who are in the teaching profession not excited or as excited as they could be uh, about uh, about working in school. Um, so I think that in the last five years, things like that have come to the forefront that have 
forced conversations that I think are important conversations about what we value, what we want classrooms to look like, what we want the teaching profession to look like, um, that have caused some people to, you know, not be as interested in teaching or people who were uh, teachers to leave. But I also think that um, it has uh, also, you know, ensured that there are some people out there who understand um, that, like, look, before um, we weren't differentiating amongst uh, amongst teachers a lot, and um, now that they now that there is more differentiation, I think those people feel like the work that they're putting in um, and the results that they're getting are being more recognized and valued, which I also think is important. So one of the things that I hear when I talk to teachers is that they they do believe in evaluation and they don't want to protect uh, those few teachers uh, who, who they view as being ineffective and actually making, Bad apples. <laughs> making their jobs right. harder. Um, but it seems to me that uh, in this kind of policy solution, there are some major unintended consequences that go well beyond uh, the intended impact of rewarding effective teachers and identifying ineffective teachers. You talked about differentiation there. And so, you know, the, the core of the question is about whether or not there are other ways to identify uh, those few yeah. weak teachers in every school who are not simply new teachers who need mentoring. Um, right. because, because no teacher wants to defend them, and yet right. uh, the, 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 the effort to identify effective and ineffective teachers by relying on test scores has these other unintended consequences, like a narrowing of the profession, like stripping teachers of their autonomy and their professionalism, like undermining trust, uh, which, which end up affecting all of the good teachers in the building. And so I'm yeah, wondering but if I don't you... necessarily think that needs to be the case, right? So I, I absolutely agree with you that, um, and you're absolutely right, like there are, the, the people who are least tolerant of ineffective teachers are effective teachers, right? It drives effective teachers insane when they have ineffective colleagues um, who are serving with them who, you know, make their, their jobs harder. Um, so I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I'd also say that, that you know, um, we had a, a situation where teacher evaluations were not particularly rigorous. They didn't use student achievement um, as part of the uh, assessment. They didn't use things like student um, feedback and evaluations, et cetera. And we knew that that, wasn't wor- that system wasn't working. When we put impact in place in D.C. as an example, um, we 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 put it in place thinking like this is going to help improve uh, how we evaluate teachers. We didn't put it in place thinking this is the end-all, be-all perfect solution. And like I said earlier, one of the things that I'm super proud of the district for doing was continuing to iterate that over time, and they are still continuing to do that. Um, and so I think that really is right, and, and I think it, it melds with, with, what, with what you said, Jack. Like, there, there probably are lots of different ways that we can be doing this, but I would disagree with you. Like, I don't think that in D.C. the teachers would say that because of the, um, the changes in the evaluation system that, that in some ways, like, the, the, the teaching profession they feel like has been narrowed or anything like that, I would say that, if anything, 
I think the data bears this out as well in terms of teachers' perception of how they're evaluated now um, compared to before is that they feel like um, that that their profession has been more, or teaching has been more professionalized. They feel like they are getting much better feedback and professional development now through the system than they were before. Now, does that mean it's perfect? Um, absolutely not. Uh, it probably still has a way to go, but I, I would absolutely say that the vast majority of teachers would say it's better than it was before. Well, Jennifer is giving me the eye to wrap this up, but I do want to just push back quickly <laughs> and, and say that you know if you look at some of the the polling from, uh, for instance, the MetLife survey of the American teacher, uh, teacher satisfaction with the profession has gone down dramatically over the past 10 years. And so I, right, I'm, not, would, I'm not talking would, directly would, about DC I, there. Yeah, no, no. I'm, but I, but I would, what I would say is that, because you're, you're saying that, um, that these uh, changes in particular may be leading to that. And I'm saying if you look at a city where these changes have been put in place and done well, and they have continued to iterate over time with teacher feedback in a thoughtful way, that teachers in that city, um, their corresponding sort of job satisfaction and how they feel about the professionalization and the evaluation system have improved. Um, this is definitely was not enough time, so you guys will have to have me back. Well, no, this was only uh, part one. Now we're moving on to politics. We're just taking a quick break. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. This is okay. Have You Heard? And I'm Jack Schneider, and I'm here with her. Michelle Ree. Michelle, I want to switch gears a little bit in the few minutes that we have left. I'm seizing the mic from my co-host who had so many questions for you about teacher evaluation. And I want to ask you a couple of questions about politics. Your organization, Students First, earned a reputation for being willing to work with the right to further its policy agenda, especially when it meant taking on the teachers' unions. And I'm wondering how that looks to you now. I'm I'm getting the sense that there's a growing awareness that the right's interest in education reform may have less to do with student achievement than in weakening the Democratic Party through, well, taking out the teachers' unions. What do you think about this? And do you, as you look back on your work with Students First, do you have any regrets about the approach you took? Um. So I think it's important uh, that we are able to reach across the aisle and work in a bipartisan way. Um, I am a Democrat. I always have been. I always will be. Um, and I certainly have worked in the past with Republicans who I didn't agree with on many issues, um, but there were some issues that we did agree on within education and we were willing to work together on. Um, it didn't mean that I didn't push those people uh, in the, on, the, on the areas and topics that we didn't agree on, but I feel like it actually, when you build relationships with folks um, and, you, and you show people like we can work together on these things, I think it, it, it oftentimes makes them more open to hearing your viewpoint on things that you don't agree on and can help people get to a better place. Is every actor in all of this stuff a good actor? I would say no. But at the same time, to like demonize people who don't have the say, who have different views with you, I think is not a productive thing. I will say this, like 
I go to places all the time where I have conversations with educators and they come out after the conversation and they're like, you are nothing like what I thought you were, you know. Do you think they I mean thought they thought you, you were, were trying, worse? Well, yeah, they say, like, I thought you were trying to privatize public education and you, you know, didn't believe in, in public schools and only wanted vouchers and charters. And that is absolutely not what I believe. And I think that there are a group of people who, who say like, this is what Michelle Reed and this is what education reformers stand for. And they are not, you know, acting in good faith. And I, so I think that some people sometimes in all of this get lumped into that, but, but actually, you know, that's not the case. And that does prohibit us from having some productive conversations. Let's talk about what you think the future looks like for a little bit. One of the things that's been so interesting about the Education Reform Coalition is the extent to which it brought together conservatives and Democrats. And the last question I asked you, I'm really thinking about in, you know, sort of practically speaking, what's happening at the at the state level. So if you go to a place like like Michigan, the reason that there isn't really a bipartisan uh, education reform effort is that the Democrats have basically been eaten. And um, I wonder what, what you see as the future of bipartisan education reform in particular, given the political reality that we're in, yeah. we're in now. What do you see the future of the education reform movement is looking like? I think it's going to be really hard <laughs> going forward, to be honest with you, because... Um, so many of uh, so many of us Democrats who are working towards education reform um, are seeing what is happening on other issues that we care about, other social issues that we care about, and um, those things are so difficult to sort of see and watch and hear that the idea that we could then collaborate with some those same people on the issues where we might see some um, uh, agreement, I think is going to be harder <laughs> over the next while than it has been in the past. And quite frankly, it worries me a bit. Um, and so I, you know, again, I'm not in the day-to-day uh, of it as much as I um, was before, but I really sort of wonder how we can how we can forge a way where people from both sides um, of the political spectrum can come together in positive and productive conversations and start to build some trust and have some open conversations because I definitely am feeling the sort of fear and skepticism from the left of the right because of some of these other issues. I think those are valid concerns and I, and I'm not exactly sure how we're going to work through all those things, but I definitely think it's going to make it more difficult. Michelle Reed, thank you for joining us here on Have You Heard? We really appreciate you coming on and talking with us and, uh, and engaging in uh, cool, calm, deliberate disagreement. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. So, Jack, how do you think it went? This is the post-meta. This is the post-meta. This is, where, this, is, this is where we assess ourselves. That's right. Oh, that's right. I, I got to get my scorecard out. Um, so, you know, I thought it was interesting when we were talking about teacher evaluation to hear her uh, deploy so many caveats about uh, the use of student standardized test scores to evaluate teachers. And I, so on the one hand, um, you know, you can, you can read that as an acknowledgement of sorts that, um, that using student standardized test scores to evaluate teachers uh, you know, full stop that 
that that's a bad idea. And then it's, it, it also kind of scares me because, of course, that is still a, a policy idea on the table. Um, and so while Michelle Rhee has you know, softened her stance and uh, adapted her position based on you know readings of research or looking at how people have uh, more smartly uh, evaluated teachers. That doesn't mean that everybody has done that, and there are still people for whom uh, student standardized test scores are a perfectly valid way of measuring teachers. We definitely got a softer version of Michelle Rhee. I thought it was really interesting. You could hear real trepidation about what happens next. Right. And um I, I'm hearing that from from a lot of people that what, you know, what does this what does the re- education reform movement co- coalesce around now? You didn't hear quite as much uh Sort of um, introspection about the role that her organization played in the past. Yeah, you know, one of the things that struck me was the fact that uh, whether or not Democrats for Education Reform, uh, and I, I am intentionally alluding to that group, um, whether whether they and their conservative uh, counterparts were both acting in good faith is kind of irrelevant, given that um, Democrats for Education Reform. Uh, and and other organizations uh, that would identify as such um, moved the left pretty close to the center, and the new right has no interest in that center. Um, and if the the left is center and the right is really right, um, the center has shifted dramatically. And and it was um, it frankly it was a little scary hearing uh, Michelle be. Worried about where the center is headed. I love that you're on a first name basis. I would, um, I would second that. If you look at what's happening uh, around the the country, it's really concerning. We talked about this a little bit in our previous episode that you sense a full scale retreat from the very idea of public education. How um, how it's delivered uh, from school buildings, from the institutions that that make up public education. We're not just talking about a sort of narrow battle versus teachers unions, but really uh, an assault on on public education. And I, I think that's a great transition into talking about what our next episode is going to be about. Well, our next episode, we're going to be leaving the K-12 space. I just used ironic italic fingers. And we're going to look at higher ed. And specifically when we look at higher ed, we'll be looking at efforts to dismantle the public uh, aspects of higher education and to marketize the, and here I'm deploying my scare quotes, the higher ed space. I want to just um, bring up one other thing. The last comment that Michelle Rhee made uh, about how she thinks it's important to talk to people that you disagree with. Some of the questions that we got from listeners were questioning why we decided to give Michelle Rhee a platform. And I just wanted to say that part of our uh, part of the goal that we have for this podcast on education in the time of Trump is to really to bring on people that we disagree with and and interrogate their views. Yeah, and and to potentially carve out a little bit of space uh, for uh, for common ground uh, that you know the right may have uh, taken a very sharp turn to. I don't know what's more right than right. Uh, you know, they're they're now uh, they're off the map. Um, but that doesn't mean that 
that there isn't some space uh, for having productive conversations and not just for drawing lines in the sand. That sounds really boring. On that note... <laughs> My map metaphors. <laughs> this is Have You Heard? I'm Jennifer Berkshire. I'm Jack Schneider. And we'll be back again soon with another episode. Bye.